Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I hear you and I've got you. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, registered dietitian, nutritionist, board-certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher. I'm also an author and podcast host with over 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. I am thrilled that you are here today because today we are talking about how to become empowered and reclaim your midlife well-being. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I feel like midlife is really the time to shine a lens on what's working, what's not working, really focus on your midlife body. I know for me right now, I'm focusing so much on getting stronger in my body, my mind, my spirit, just really rocking my midlife. And we are going to give you so many tips and techniques that are really going to help you to become empowered, to find power from within so you can reclaim your midlife well-being. I want to let you know, if you have a question or comment, you can always reach out to me at themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. I've got a free gift for you there, which is uh, Rock Your Midlife 10 Tips, as well as a link to, if you're interested in buying my book, Rock Your Midlife, to really help you to make your next chapter your best chapter. And Midlife is the time to take charge of your health so you can maximize your well-being, prevent disease, and ensure you experience a fulfilling, healthy life as you age. And taking charge of your health also empowers you to make informed decisions and take action that promotes health and vitality. If you're not sure where to start, today's show is going to provide you with the keys you need to become the authority of your well-being and transform your body from a place of self-love, not self self-loathing, right? How many of us get into that self-loathing place where we're like, oh my God, can't believe what the scale says. I can't believe what's happening with my waistline. And we beat ourselves up. And I'm here to say that loving yourself first is such the key to transforming your midlife well-being. And my guest today is master certified health a life coach and podcaster, Elizabeth Sherman. She's going to share how to manage menopause and other midlife stressors and reclaim your well-being without crazy diets or soul-crushing workouts. So wherever you are on your wellness journey, you're going to get valuable tips and techniques that will empower you to rock your midlife. And I wanted to start off by talking about like why. What's your why for changing your health and midlife? So take a moment and think about, gosh, why do I want to change my health? and well-being at midlife. And I want to give you six reasons that you might want to do this. Number one, prevention of chronic diseases. You know, many chronic diseases, including heart diseases, disease, type two diabetes, some cancers really have their roots in an unhealthy lifestyle. And Midlife is a time that if you know your, your physician starting to tell you that your blood labs are looking a little wonky or you don't have the energy that you once did, it's the time to really take charge and prevent your those types of diseases. And I just actually wanted to read this great quote from John Kabat-Zinn. If you're thinking, oh my God, it's too late for me. He says, as long as you are breathing, there is more right with you than there is wrong, no matter how ill or how hopeless you may feel. But if you hope to mobilize your inner capacities for growth and for healing and to take charge in your life on a new level, a certain kind of effort and energy on your part will be required. It takes conscious effort on your part to move in a direction of healing and inner peace. But if you're breathing, 
you've got trillions and trillions of cells that are rocking it. And so there is so much you can do by changing your lifestyle. So number one, you're going to prevent the diseases because we know most of these chronic diseases have the roots in stress and inflammation. And there's so much you can do by changing your lifestyle. We're going to get into that in a few moments. Increase your life expectancy. Like, I don't know about you, but I want to be healthy at hundred. I have a great man in my life and we're really working together to make that dream a reality. We are super active. We grow most of our food. We keep our vibes super high because you know, we want to live another 40 years or so. Number three, maintain a physical and mental well-being. Your body and your mind are interrelated. So when you are taking charge of your health, first of all, you're feeling like, oh my God, I'm empowered. Like I'm not just, I know so many times people go to physicians and they're like, my God, how did this happen? Well, how have you been treating your body? It's not like these chronic diseases or this low energy just pops out of nowhere. If you want to maintain your physical and mental well-being, midlife is a crucial period when you can kind of reverse a lot of these age-related changes in your physical and mental health. Number four, be a role model for future generations. Like I'm not a grandmother yet. I'm kind of like if my if my kids and stepkids are listening, guys, get busy. Come on, we we're ready to be grandparents. But you know, it's so cool to be a role model. I know my parents who are 91 and almost 93 are a role model for me. I hope I'm a good role model for my kids, but let's be a role model for future generations. So it's a great way to be examples for your grandchildren by prioritizing your well-being, by making good selections in terms of what you eat, how you move, how you deal with stress, how you take care of yourself. You can really inspire other people and also inspire people on your community. I think it's so cool that we have social media. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, where we can show people how to rock midlife and how to be well-beings as we age, how to really live a high vibe midlife. Number five, financial implications. Um, you know, when you are ill, even if you don't have that big a deductible, it definitely takes a bite in your finances. Maybe you won't be able to work at the same capacity or you'll have medical bills. So it's really important for your finances to take charge of your health. Your health really is your wealth. And finally, adaption to life transition. So midlife brings significant life transitions like children leaving home, empty nests, career changes, taking care of aging parents. There's a lot to balance. There's a lot of moving parts. And if you're taking care of your health, you're going to be so much better at dealing with the stress. You're going to sleep better at night. You're going to feel better. You're going to really have so many more resources to take care of yourself. So just a little inspiration to get you started. Let me know, reach out to me, leave a review of the podcast. Let me know why you want to change your midlife health, why you want to get inspired and empowered to feel the best you've ever felt. And I'm again, I'm here to say that even if you have had years of dealing with maybe chronic pain or illness, or you're dealing with menopause, stress, you can turn it around by empowering yourself, by taking steps. It can be as small as having an apple in the afternoon and a glass of water as a snack, a few almonds instead of, you know, a candy bar and a Coca-Cola can be as simple as making sure that your lights off by 11 o'clock. So you're getting seven or eight hours of good quality sleep that you're walking 
for 20, 30 minutes every day that you're standing during the day instead of sitting all day. There's so much that you can do. So without further ado, I want to uh, introduce my amazing guest. I hope you're watching because she looks amazing. Uh, she is Elizabeth Sherman. She is a master certified health and life coach who helps women in perimenopause and menopause manage their symptoms as well as all of the other stressful demands that seem to accompany the season of life. Things like the physical changes of menopause and the aging process, the emotional demands that we have as our life changes and our family structures change, the physiological changes of how our body responds to external stimulus and how we respond to those changes, the mental load that we carry, and just that whole balance that we're all trying to like juggle and keep things up in the air. And it's a lot to handle. So she's really going to help us. She hosts a weekly podcast called Done With Dieting, which is for women who, in spite of all of these demands, have been socialized to focus on their appearance and putting everybody else first. And she helps women become, I love this, the best supporting actresses in the movie of their own life. Like who doesn't want to be your own best supporting actress. She's, she's going to tell us how to do that. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Elizabeth. So awesome to have you here. Thanks. You said so many things in your introduction that like were just popping off like alarm bells and not alarm bells, but just things. That, Resonance. Exactly. I was, yeah, it was perfect. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Well, my pleasure. And I'm so excited to have you here. So I guess my first question is like, how did you get here? Right? Like, I think so yeah. many of us who go into this health and wellness business, we go in to help other people, or maybe we have our own health crisis that sort of spurs us on. Tell us a little bit about your story and how, what led you to become a wellness coach? Yeah. So my story actually started in 2001 when my mom passed away from breast cancer. And at the time I was a high tech executive and I was doing a lot of traveling. I wasn't paying attention to my health. I didn't really grow up knowing that I needed to pay attention to my health. Like in my family, uh, we were fed, I'm one of six kids. And so my mom was like, how do I stretch a buck? And so how do I feed eight people at the dinner Lots table? Lots of mac and cheese. Exactly. Like <laughs> rice with chili and noodles with stuff. And so like, that was my approach to food as well. Like, how do I eat as much food as possible? Because it was just, yeah. How yeah, our, our mindset. get the food, what, what number yeah. are you in the six? I'm, I'm number six. I'm the youngest. Oh my goodness. So it's like, I better get my fill and there might not be enough left for me. Exactly. Although I have to say that I never went hungry and it was just a mindset of are you full at the dinner table? Not have you had enough? Like just that simple tweak was very different. And so anyway, when my mom was in her later stages of cancer, I remember going home and typing into the computer, how do I not get breast cancer? Because watching her go through treatment, watching her go through the, just the death process, sorry to be so blunt, but watch her body deteriorate. I was like, how do I prevent that from happening to me? And that was actually the very beginning of my process. I had already started exercising. Um, however, um, I really didn't know that being overweight was a huge risk factor for many lifestyle diseases. 
And so that was really the beginning of my journey to start to become healthier. And I would love to say to everyone watching right now that in doing so, I immediately changed my eating habits and my exercise habits. And I became this, you know, beacon of health, but I didn't, I played the magic pill for a while, like searching for the magic pill in magazines and trying different techniques and really trying to skirt like basic science. Right. And right. Yeah, there is that, no, if you're listening, there is no magic pill. There uh, is no really, magic pill. The magic pill is, you know, eat more plants, move your yes. body, get your yes. sleep, certainly good supplementation, but um, yeah, that's an intense story. So what, what, what made you decide to become a life and health coach? Oh, so I was in high tech at the time and I was like, how am I making the world a better place by helping people to, or helping corporations to sell more cars? <laughs> and I was like, my husband and I do not have children. So, you know, most of us want to leave the world in a better place, or at least I do. I want to leave the world in a better place from when I got it. And so my contribution was, well, if I can help someone, just one person at that point, avoid the disease and avoid what my mom went through, then I will have made the world a better place. And so that's really what started happening. I was going to see a psychologist probably more as a life coach than as a psychologist. And she was like, I think you would make a really good wellness coach. So this was back in 2005. And I, um, no one knew what coaches were at that time. Like coaching wasn't a thing. Um, and everyone knew what personal trainers were, what nutritionists were, what dietitians were, but no one knew what coaching did. And so I actually got my certification together for personal training and for nutrition and for wellness coaching, but I didn't do anything with it because I didn't know how to tell people how I could help them. And so for the longest time, I actually was, I say, just a personal trainer because that's all I knew how to market myself as. And it was really frustrating for me because my clients would start to get really good results through eating better, through exercising. And then something would happen in their lives that would pull the rug right from out from under them. And that something was usually stress-related. So their job would get busy. It would become the holidays. Um, they would start having marital problems or their kid would get in trouble or their parents needed more support, right? All of those things that happen in midlife. And as a personal trainer and nutritionist, I didn't know how to coach my clients on that. And so it wasn't until I found life coaching myself that I realized, oh, we can actually preventively help people manage their problems and manage their stress through coaching. And that's when my business really changed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I have a very similar story. You know, I became a dietitian and I was taught to tell people, eat this, don't eat that. And nobody yep. changed. And then I became a personal fitness trainer like you. And yep. what happened, I was doing my personal fitness trainer. I found well coaches. So I became, you know, a, a certified health and wellness coach. Yeah. And it was great because you're spending an hour a day, you know, an hour with people, maybe two, three times a week. 
and really utilizing my coaching skills. And it was like, oh yeah, light bulb. Like this is the missing thing. This all of this subconscious things. Why are people sabotaging themselves? How to help people deal with stress. So I love that. We have very, very similar paths. So let's get right into how we can help people who are listening. Yeah. So how are our physical emotional changes of aging and menopause, how do they relate to our health habits? So obviously we're going through menopause. So we're, you know, sleepless nights and depression is certainly higher at midlife. And we're dealing with things like hot flashes and just not having the energy. How do we, how does that relate to our health habits? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that for many women in midlife, we have started out our lives having a very poor relationship with food, with exercise, with our bodies, with sleep. And I say sleep because most of us love sleep, but we never, like for myself, I loved sleep. I was able to sleep anywhere at any time. And so I took for granted putting together like a sleep routine and having really good sleep hygiene. And so it wasn't until I became you know, in midlife and started having sleep disruptions that I started paying attention to, oh, maybe I need to spend a little bit more time carving out like how important sleep is. What are the things that I'm doing beforehand so that I can create a restful sleep environment for myself? Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. Sleep is so much at the heart of issues with health and wellness. Like when we're sleeping, our body is repairing itself, our hormones are resetting. So, I mean, poor sleep is associated with everything from heart disease, cancer, weight gain, all of the things we're trying to avoid. So if someone's listening, what are your, what are your top tips in helping with that sleep hygiene and helping deal with those? I think a lot of people are, you know, kept up at night by all of the physiological and emotional changes and all of the stress that sort of like they lie down, they're exhausted. And then all of the issues start to, to crop up, bubble up. Yeah. So our health habits actually play onto one another, right? So we know that our eating will impact our sleep. We know that exercising or not exercising will impact our sleep. We know that our stress will impact our sleep. And we know that having good quality sleep impacts our choices when we make choices to eat. We know that not having good quality sleep will impact our energy levels to, you know, whether we want to exercise or not. And we also know that our sleep will impact our stress. So all of these habits will interplay with one another. Now, what I find with many of my clients is if we can create a solid sleep routine, and when I talk about sleep routines here, I'm not talking about candles and baths and all of that spa-like stuff, which is great if you like doing that. And you have the time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I don't want to clean out my bathtub. (laughs) So um, what I talk about when I'm talking about sleep routines are doing those things repetitively at night that get your brain ready for sleep. So Every night I will put out my exercise clothes for the morning. I will make the coffee pot. I will do all of these things in order that tell my brain, okay, brain, it's time to go to sleep. It also helps that, um, I don't try, or I try not to drink alcohol at night because I notice that as I've gotten older, 
alcohol really disrupts my sleep. And also that I try to exercise during the day. And those two actually kind of go together because for many people, when we don't exercise during the day, we go to bed and our brain is exhausted, but our bodies still have all of this energy. And so we drink alcohol to slow ourselves down, right? To take the edge off. And that creates a one-two punch because then we go to bed and we're wired, but we're tired. So we have insomnia at that point. Yeah. I'm and glad so, you brought up the alcohol too, because yeah. I, it's so interesting. I've had a lot of midlife menopause experts on, and there seems to be the thread of, we don't metabolize alcohol the same way. Once we hit midlife, go through menopause. I know myself, I used yeah. to enjoy alcohol and now it just makes me feel terrible. Like kind of just low energy. It doesn't get the same score. So that's really important to watch the alcohol. Also, I think it's another thing that's super important is not eating late at night because really your body needs to rest. So trying to stop eating by seven, turning off your screens is really important doing a mind dump. So if you're super stressed out, just write down everything that's stressing. I love what you said about like putting your exercise clothing out and coffee. So, you know, like, okay, that's taken care of in the morning. Um, it's really great too to just, again, getting in a routine, having going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. And I love if you're going through the hot flashes, have a squirt bottle filled with like lemon water, just water mixed with a little bit of lemon essential oil or lemon juice, and just squirt yourself with it when you wake up. I like to sleep in the buff or in wicking pajamas too. I think that's really helpful. So sleep is super helpful. Then that exercise tip is great too, to get some movement during the day, but not super close to bedtime because that will rev you up when you want to slow down. So let's, let's talk a little bit about stress management. So what's the latest research and evidence-based practices on how to de-stress, manage your stress when you're going through midlife? Yeah. So I'm not going to say that women in midlife should not feel like anxiety or depression, that those are things that naturally occur. And I don't want to say that you feel anxiety, but I think it's just the body's uh, neurotransmitters that make it feel like you have anxiety. What I find with a lot of my clients is that half of our anxiety is actually felt through just natural hormone shifting. And the other half is through our worries. So the way that we think about our problems. And one of the techniques that I use with my clients is something called the think, feel, act cycle. It's part of the uh, cognitive behavior therapy. And what the think, feel, act cycle states is that everything that we do, we do because of how we feel or how we think we're going to feel when we do the thing. So Putting this into context is a lot of the listeners are probably thinking, why did I eat that um, chocolate last night when I know that I'm trying to stay away from it? Or why did I not exercise when I know that I'm trying to start exercising? And what we can do is we can look at all of our past behavior through something called the motivational triad. The motivational triad is actually a Tony Robbins model, which says that everything we do, we do as humans, we make decisions from the motivational triad, which states we're constantly seeking pleasure. We're all avoiding pain and we're doing it as efficiently as possible. So when you're sitting on the couch and you're like, oh, it's time for me to go exercise. 
well, the couch is really comfortable and exercising, not that it's difficult, but it, it takes energy and you might get sweaty, which none of us, I don't really enjoy sweating. Um, and so it takes energy and it's going to be uncomfortable a little bit. And so it's easier to blow off that exercise than to actually go do it. And the same thing goes with eating or overeating treats. Like when we feel anxiety, we may have a history of knowing that chocolate will make it taste better. And maybe it doesn't, but at least it's going to feel better in the moment. Right. It distracts us from what's bothering us. And you know, it's also when we're getting into this addictive behavior, what's happening is we're actually addicted to the anxiety. It's like, we know what that feels like. And we keep going to that place because it's like our neurons that wire together, fire together. So it's like, oh yeah, this is anxiety. This is familiar. My brain is, is used to this state. And then like, when I feel this way, I have the chocolate. And so you're needing to create these new neural pathways that lead to new behavior is what you're saying with the, you know, the cognitive behavior piece where it's like, okay, I'm feeling this anxiety and I want chocolate, but I'm going to use my big mammalian frontal cortex. And by the way, I told my coach that I was going to exercise, you know, three days a week for a half an hour. So I'm going to deal with the anxiety through exercise and unlock the chocolate. The exercise is actually going to really help me to burn off the anxiety. Whereas with the chocolate, you might feel better for the moment or two when you're having that, you know, that Snickers bar. But then after you've had the Snickers bar, you want another one to deal with it. And you get into this addictive behavior. Whereas with the exercise, it's a, you're, you're building new neural pathways. You're building new physiological connections. You're actually feeling good. So I think bringing, mm-hmm. you know, this lens of observation, oh yeah, this is anxiety. Okay. What could I do differently instead of the chocolate, like changing that behavior. So I'm loving that you're bringing up this triad and ways that we can kind of keep ourselves motivated. So how do you help your clients stay motivated? So when you have that client's like, oh my God, I know Elizabeth, I told you I was supposed to exercise, you know, three times this week, but I, I was watching, um, chimp empire on Netflix. Right. (laughs) And I didn't do it. I got addicted to because those, I have to say when I, I stay away from Netflix most of the time, because it is, it's so addicting. You could sit there all night and just watch the show after show and you feel really good and you're Mm -hmm. kind of distracted. But what do you, what do you tell your client when they're, they don't do what they, what, what you agreed upon in terms of their goals for the week? Yeah. So first of all, I want to say that everyone walks around wanting to feel motivated all the time. Motivation is a feeling just like sadness is a feeling like love is a feeling like anger is a feeling. And so we cannot expect that we are going to feel motivated all the time to go exercise yet. Somehow we do expect to feel motivated. And so where I go with that is one understanding that there are a lot of other emotions that will get the job done like feeling determined, feeling committed to our goal, feeling belief that it's not going to be as bad. So I teach them to do a lot of internal self-talk. But the other piece to that is teaching my clients to really uh, be able to learn how to have their own back. And what I mean by that is not biting off more than you can chew. So oftentimes, instead of like, if my client isn't working out at all right now, 
and we say, okay, you're going to exercise three times a week. You're going to walk three times a week for 30 minutes. Everyone's brain is like, oh, that's, that should be easy, right? We all think that it should be easy. But if we haven't been doing that, it's not actually going to be easy. And our brain is going to say, oh, well, I don't want to do it today because I'm already dressed up or I don't want to blah, 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 whatever this thing got in the way. And so I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then the next day comes and then they have to push it off again and so on and so forth until it comes down to the very last days and they're, they feel anxious because they've blown it off. So instead we take really small baby steps. So maybe the first week is walking for five minutes, something that is so low bar that they can't possibly not do it. And what that does is it starts to build self-trust. It starts to build self-trust with the commitment of, I said I was going to do this and I'm actually following through. And so then we will expand the goal as we move through. Now, a lot of people listening and watching right now are probably thinking five minutes a day, that's not going to do anything. Well, okay, maybe not, but it might, and it might help you where doing nothing isn't right. Right. And that's also going to build the self-efficacy. So this belief that I can do it. And honestly, once you put your sneakers on and you're out the door and you're out in nature and and you're enjoying yourself, you're going to do more time. Like I always, I tell my clients sometimes, well, we'll just do one push up, right? If you're down there on the floor doing push ups, you're going to do more push ups. You know, just carry an apple in your bag. Well, if you got an apple in your bag, you're going to grab it and have a snack. So I love that you, you know, start small. Don't beat yourself up because it's not like this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do 10,000 steps every day and, and work up. So let's talk a little bit about, um, how do these health habits? So getting sleep, we haven't talked too much about nutrition, but I've I've talked about nutrition a lot, which is basically like eating more plants, eating a whole foods, plant-based diet, uh, you know, eating less to your satisfied rather than stuffed, maybe, you know, smart supplementation, getting good night's sleep, dealing with your stress, moving your body every day. How are all of these health habits going to impact menopausal symptoms? Yeah, that's a good question. And the The answer to that is everyone's body is completely different. So one of the first things that I teach my clients is to start listening to their body. As younger women, we are taught to not pay attention to our body. We're taught to follow the diet, right? We're taught like, oh, you don't need to eat. You're just thirsty. Just drink some water, right? And that in itself starts the disconnection from our body. And so for many of my clients, and this was true for myself as well, that I was completely unaware of the emotions that were happening in my body and what, how food made me feel. And so that's a huge process of my coaching with my clients is really being able to understand how food makes you feel. And so we talked about sleep earlier. So what we can start doing is we can start connecting the dots between what I'm eating and what happens later. So one of the things that I noticed with myself was that as I was eating starches in my evening meal, that actually gave me hot flashes and night sweats. So I took the, um, the starches away from my evening meal and those went away. 
And then the next stage was starting to add some of them back in to find out were there certain starches that gave me hot flashes or was it all starches? And then the same thing happened actually when I was going through menopause that I started getting hot flashes during the day. And so I removed just for a period of time, all sugar and white flour from my diet. And then I started adding it back in again. And so now I can have some sugar and flour in my diet, but I can't have all the sugar and flour in my diet. And so, because what happens then is if I have too much, then I start getting hot flashes again. So I just back off a little bit. And so those are just some of the techniques that I use with my clients in terms of eating and how to manage your menopausal symptoms. Yeah, that's a great, great tip and great, great, great point in general. And we can get a little bit more into it because I know you're also certified in terms of being a feminist coach, but this idea as a nutritionist, it was always taught, you know, giving people a piece of paper and you eat yeah. according to the piece of paper. And if you yeah. eat according to the piece of paper, whether that is 1200 calories, 600 calories, whatever it is, or macros, whatever that is, you know, you've, you've done your food journals, all that, then you've been good. And we totally disconnect from our bodies. And the cool thing that happens is, when you start to listen to your body, you actually crave the healthy foods because you want to feel good, but it doesn't mean you don't eat, you know, the sugar and sweets. Like the other night, you know, it was a 4th of July and there was a food truck that had like maple creamies. I hadn't had a creamy yet this year and I don't eat very much sugar at all. And I was looking at, it, I was like, oh my God, I want a hot fudge sundae. But, you know, I, and I thought about it and I thought, well, which decision am I going to like better after I've eaten it? And so what my, my man and I ended up doing is we split you know, a, we split a regular creamy, not a Sunday, and it was absolutely delicious. We enjoyed every bite and I felt great afterwards. Now I know if I had just said, I want that hot fudge Sunday to myself, I would have just felt kind of bleh, meh, you know? So I think it's yeah. amazing. The, the beauty of this is, is you get away from this deprivation diet mentality, which is totally BS. It's the, you know, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that wants you to fail over and over and over again. So you keep coming back to the BS solutions and it creates so much stress. The research really shows that the calorie deprivation, when that happens, your cortisol levels go up. That's the fight, this, the hormone of fight and flight. We've been talking a lot about stress. You get stressed out literally because your body thinks that there's a famine so it, it, you know, revs up appetite, revs up, let's keep that, that body fat around the middle so that we have the fuel for emergencies. And also your psychological stress goes up and all you're thinking about is food, which is absolutely what you do not want, you know, when you're trying to lose weight or maintain your weight. So I love that you're saying like, get to know your body, get to know food and, you know, and be okay with your midlife body. So let's talk a little bit about aging because off, off the, you know, before we were actually started the podcast, we were talking about, I know you've got a birthday coming up and you were a little bit like, oh my goodness. So what, what is that? Do you think that, you know, when you think about, oh my God, I'm like mid fifties and I just turned 60 that yeah. we sort of like give ourselves like, oh my God, I'm not so good anymore when this is just a natural part of the process. I know you had a little bit of an aha moment. So talk a little bit about yes. that and how you're handling kind of it. Cause you look amazing. You're obviously super fit. And I think we're want to be role models for women who are listening and saying that, you know, you don't need to be your 26 year old self and you can be beautiful and sexy and enjoy your life and have energy in your fifties, your sixties, your seventies. But I uh, share a little bit about what, what that was like for you to sort of think about your age. Yeah. Well, it's ageism is what it is. And I started reading this book called, um, this chair rocks. Oh, I and... love that book. She's amazing. Okay. Awesome. 
So yeah, she talks about the U curve of happiness, right? That I think that we all think that when we turn 50 or 60 or get older, that it's all downhill from there. And what this book or the U curve of happiness states is that we are least happy in our midlife. And then afterwards we start to become happier again at the both ends of our, uh, our life at when we're first young. And then as we, uh, grow older, we start to become happier again. And so I think that it's really changing that conversation that we have as women, we buy into the internalized oppression that we are only valued for our appearance and that being old is not beautiful. I mean, and no one would say that today, right? No one would actually mutter those words of I'm not beautiful, but maybe we're thinking it in the back of our heads. We certainly notice that as we get older, as we walk down the street, that we don't get the male gaze as much. People don't look at us as much. We start to feel invisible. And that's where the best supporting actress of your life comes in, which is so many of my clients, I notice that they are out supporting other people in their lives and they're taking a back seat in their lives. They're not becoming the star role in their lives, right? They're just the supporting actress. And so we really want, and we've been socialized to believe that we shouldn't ask for more, that we should be the helper, that it's better to give than receive. And so all of this plays into not taking ownership of where our life is going. And really, I find that for so many women, because I think of the drop in estrogen that happens when we... uh you know, get into midlife and go into menopause that so many women are like, wait a minute, I have been the nice girl for how long now I need to do what's right for me. And right. We, yeah, it's we a very just, empowering time to let the exactly. people please go, let that good girl go, just say, yeah. And I see that with so many women, you know, whether that's at a job just saying, you know what, I'm so done with this corporate gig and looking for ways of how do I support myself financially. I'm always so amazed at the BS stories that come through when I'm coaching people, these stories about, I can't find another job and I don't have any skills, or even if I'm going to end this marriage, cause it's not working for me, or I just want to like move to, you know, the South of France and open up a bakery because it's going to make me happy. These things are, what are people going to say? How am I going to support myself? What's going to happen? And it is, yeah. it's a powerful time to look at that lens and just forget about what our culture says. And that's changing, which is awesome that, that you is. Know, people like ourselves, there's so many celebrities who are coming out, so many celebrities who are, you know, also, you know, using, going gray, letting their natural hair color shine, which, you know, whatever you want to do is totally fine. But just saying, you know, I'm not invisible anymore. And that, that sort of self-concept, I'm here to say too, the most important thing about you is not your looks. We have right. been socialized and then we're socialized that if we're not thin and we're not young, then we're not acceptable in terms of our looks. And then we start feeling bad about ourselves and start feeling invisible and we're sending that vibe out there. And so we're attracting that. And then not only we're we not the best supporting actress, but we're in the audience, you know, eating the popcorn and the milk duds 
Exactly. Yeah. Because like if if you find that you are not attractive, then what difference does it make if you eat another cookie or eat the popcorn or do any of these things for your health? Your health doesn't become important to you because, you know, what difference does it make? It's not supporting those people around you. And one thing that I, right, go ahead. Oh, sorry. One thing that I just need to put in here is I abhor that analogy of you need to put on your own oxygen mask so that you can help others. I just need to throw this out there that you need to put on your own oxygen mask and practice self-care because you're a freaking human being and you deserve to take care of yourself. Not so that you can take care of other people. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) No, I love that. I know we're having, we could go on and talking for hours because it is, we're both on the same page about that. I love that, that, you know, taking another look at do that because you are human, you know, you deserve your love, you deserve your compassion. And I think that what I wanted to say where I was jumping in there, getting all excited was that when you do the eat, you know, I'm eating these things and I'm moving my body to lose weight and look a certain way when that doesn't work. And let's face it, it's like you, we have a genetic disposition. This was a big aha moment for me realizing just like you wouldn't have a great day and become a chihuahua. If you are naturally a certain body size and shape, and let's face it, even with, even if you take great care of yourself, a lot of women do naturally gain weight body shifts as, as Mm -hmm. the hormones shift it, you know, you can avoid some of it. It's not, you can't blame it all on the hormones and menopause, but some of it does happen. But if you're trying to, you know, get down to a size four, size two, whatever you're telling yourself and you don't do it, you're going to go back to the old eating ways. You get on this horrible chronic diet, um, uh, merry-go-round where you are depriving yourself and you get hungry and then you binge and then you diet again. And it's just crazy what that does to your body and your brain. So I'm glad that we can sort of shine some light on it. So just before we finish, I want to talk a little bit about body image. So my way of helping women deal with body image, um, you know, similar yours, loving yourself, taking care of yourself, doing the self-care and certainly practicing self-compassion because it does reduce body shame, body dissatisfaction, self-worth based on appearance, which we just talked about improves body appreciation. How do you help women with negative body image or improve their body image? Good question. And this actually ties into something that I was thinking about as you were just talking, which is, Um, I think that there is, there's like this intersection of habits and body image. Okay. So the more strict we are, the happier that we might be with our body, right? Because it's socially acceptable. It's smaller. And for men and women, they, we've learned this diet of deprivation. And it's just not sustainable. And so for my clients, what I do is I show them the intersection. Okay, so what are the habits that you are willing to do that make you look and feel good enough? And then the rest of it, we're going to, um, we're going to coach on body image because it's not fair for you to beat yourself up because we've been dancing around the inner critic today. And so it's not fair to beat yourself up about the way that your body looks if you are unwilling to do the things that it takes. And I say unwilling, I don't like that word, but do unwilling to do the things that it takes for your body to become and maintain a certain size. 
Like it doesn't make any sense for you to beat yourself up about your body's size on that. Does right. that make sense? No, that makes sense. I mean, what, you know, and, and the other thing too, is that body image has nothing to do with your body. Your no. body image is in your mind. And so I yeah. know myself, when I was a personal fitness trainer working out four to six hours a day, I think my body fat percentage was probably like 13, 14. I hated my body. We all hated our body. My clients, we all were like in this, get it. You've got to get off the hamster wheel that says I'm running so fast. I'm eating so little and, and throw away the BS stories that small is somehow better, that you're somehow a better, more worthy person because you're a size zero. Like, let's throw that out. Let's throw that out and let's even forget about measuring yourself by the scale, by the size of your clothing. I mean, I think that that can be a metric that can be helpful as an outcome, but to judge yourself. And I think what you're saying is that throw out that self-critic unless you're willing to go to these extremes, but that, which, which may not even work because it's, it's physiologically unhealthy, maybe even unsafe. Again, that, that metaphor yeah. of trying to turn a great Dane into a chihuahua. It's exactly, exactly. not and, going to work. Yeah. And we are taught that only certain body sizes and shapes are attractive. And if your body is outside of that, which the, what we're taught is an attractive body shape. Like I grew up with 17 magazine and cosmopolitan, like that was just one small body shape and color and all of that. And so, so many of us are outside of that. And so being able to just appreciate what your body does. And I don't actually go to self-love or body love. I think that for many women, they just want to get rid of that inner critic and get to body neutrality. I mean, we don't teach men or we don't tell men, you know, you should really love your body. Can you imagine saying that to your partner? No, he would be yeah, like, and they're what? also not like they, you know, you look at some midlife men, whether it's, you know, balding or pot belly or all of these things, they're like, still think that they're hot and they're sexy, hot, and, right. right? And so we, you know, I, and I love that you're sort of looking at this through a feminist coach lens as well, because it really is a feminist issue of we Absolutely. are worthy, not mm -hmm. because of how we look, but because we just are human beings and we are worthy to rock our midlife and to feel good and to be healthy. So I know for the self-critic, a lot of what I do with my clients is something called um, internal family systems. So actually mm. looking at the self-critic and something we do with mindful self-compassion as well and saying, how is the self-critic trying to help you actually having a dialogue, getting to know because your self-critic is the internalized voice of early caregivers. Like how many of us had moms who were really working on staying a certain size and we saw them and then they wanted us to do it too. So we internalized this voice that you're better, you're more attractive, you're more valuable somehow if you are a certain size, shape, age. And then we get to be adults and we're like, oh my God, I've got to do all of this anti-aging stuff because if I have wrinkles, if I have gray hair, if I have you know, a midsection that's a certain size, then I am not worthy. And so I think that the power of, hitting midlife, working with coaches is, is really looking at this and say, seeing yourself critic and saying, thank you very much, but I'm developed this new voice, whether we call it body yeah. neutrality, or I like to, you know, the self-compassion voice that says, you know, I care about you. And I see that you're suffering around this issue. What do you need right now to mm -hmm. feel good in your body? And I think another good piece too, is to bring in function over mm, what yeah. you look like, your body mm -hmm. functioning. You have 32 trillion cells that are all working together to keep you alive. Your body is 
effing amazing. You've got this divine universal life force that is the same thing that makes the trees grow and the, the planet move around the earth. All of these things are inside of you. You've got this whole universe. I mean, you are made of star stuff. Everything you eat, it comes from the sun, right? We either eat plants or animals that eat the plants. I mean, you're amazing. If you are listening to this, you are amazing. So I hope that you will take from this conversation just how incredible you are. Stop beating your body up, feed and care for your body because it is where you live. So one last question before we uh, dive into where people can connect with you. How are you rocking your midlife? Because I know you live in Mexico. <laughs> I know we could talk all day, so we'll have to like have a, continue this conversation in part two, but tell me how you're rocking your midlife. Cause clearly you look amazing. I can see that you are in a beautiful environment and I know that you're an expat in Mexico. How are you rocking your midlife, Elizabeth? Yeah, I would have to say that that's probably about it. Like I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel like our life here in Mexico is probably set up that, yeah, we're, we have everything that we could possibly want. And so just my life isn't coming to an end. It's just extending. And so I think about like in the continuum of life, I'm in the middle. And so looking back and seeing everything that I've accomplished up until today, I can probably accomplish so much more in the rest of my life. I love that. Yeah, it is. And I feel the same way too. I'm just having so much fun and I feel so good. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing. Where can people uh, connect with you? If people want to explore coaching with you, I know you've got some other valuable resources. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. So on Facebook, I am at Total Health by Eliz. On Instagram, you can find me at Done With Dieting Podcast. And of course, if you want to listen to my podcast, you can catch that done with dieting podcast with Elizabeth Sherman. And, um, other than that, my website has all of the information that people need. You can listen to my podcast there if you want to. Um, and that is just elizabethsherman.com. All right. So go to elizabethsherman.com or the done with dieting podcast, total health by Eliz. She's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This has been such a great conversation. The time like flew by. Um, <laughs> thanks for I having really me. This has been it. fun. Thank you all for listening. I hope that you have gotten some valuable information and just maybe vibed off of our energy to midlife women who are really rocking it. If you enjoyed the show, please leave me a review. It helps other women find us as well. And if you want to reach out to me, it's themidlifewhisper.com. It's that's themidlifewhisper.com. There's a contact button there. You can reach me from there and I'd be happy to uh, entertain any questions you might have. Go out and rock your midlife. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you soon. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I hear you and I've got you. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, registered dietitian, nutritionist, board-certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher. I'm also an author and podcast host with over 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. 